Life Audio. Welcome to the Homeschooling Families Podcast. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. A month ago or so, I introduced you to Judd Saul with Equipping the Persecuted and the work that he's doing to equip and care for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Nigeria. The response to that episode was so great that I wanted to get him back on the show to tell you more about what's happening over there and how your family can get involved in serving and praying for them right now. So stay tuned. I'll be right back with Judd Saul of Equipping the Persecuted. Judd, welcome back to the podcast. I really appreciate your taking more time to come and explain to us what's going on over there. It's really good to have you back. Well, thank you for having me back on. Really appreciate being here. Yeah, when we talked the last time, I was just blown away by what all is happening over in Nigeria, that things that I had never heard about I was completely unaware of. I felt so small as I heard of the faith and what, you know, what what these these brothers and sisters are standing strong against that I really I just I so appreciated the way that you opened my eyes that I wanted to make sure that that every one of our families is truly informed of what's going on over there. So can you give us just a little, you know, kind of recap of what is the situation with our brothers and sisters over in Nigeria? Well, I'll give you some statistics uh, to try to put it in perspective. Since 2009, over 55,000 Christians have been murdered for their faith in Nigeria. 18,000 churches have been set on fire. 2,200 Christian schools were set ablaze. And that has left over about 1.5 million displaced Christians in Nigeria. Displaced Christians meaning people who have been driven from their homes and are not allowed to go back. And on top of that, not just lost their homes, but lost everything they had on top of it. Wow. You know, in our last discussion, you talked about why there were so many believers in Nigeria. And you gave us a little bit of information on that, because when you throw away or throw around numbers like 55,000 Christians murdered, 1.5 million displaced Christians, those are really huge numbers that I don't know that a whole lot of our audience actually considers there being that many brothers and sisters in that part of the world. So can you give us you know, more insight as to how they how the numbers got so big there and why Nigeria was such a focus of this kind of horrific persecution. Well, Nigeria is one of the most populous countries in Africa. It's got one of the largest populations. It's also got some of the best resources, natural resources available, you know, oil and minerals, uh, etc. And it was a majority Christian nation up until about 25 years ago. And then slowly but surely, Islam has crept in over time, and then they are now about a 50-50 split in the population. And they have taken and dominated political power, taken over the government, and that's where you're seeing a lot of now from what we call a cultural, fairly peaceful jihad has now gone violent. Mm. And when they go violent, they don't stop. And they... and it's just being taken over, I say, a death by a thousand attacks. You know, we say the term death by a thousand cuts. 
Well, it's death by a thousand attacks, little attacks here and there, here and there, gaining more territory. And this was a very thriving Christian country with, you know, a very beautiful place to go. But because of Islam's encroachment and taking over and, and killing Christians, this once beautiful country is not a safe place to go to anymore. Wow. What, you know, what with this kind of a reality facing them, the fact that there are, like you noted, that there are thousands of attacks, all of this, this very strong persecution, the the true reality that, at you know, you're not promised tomorrow, which would play a lot differently there than it does for us. We kind of throw that around, but we don't really think that way. That would have to be a reality there. How is that impacting the way that these believers are are actually walking day by day, raising their families. What does their life look like? They're trying to continue life, you know, as normal. But sadly, they've been conditioned to possibly not expect tomorrow. Wow! And we have pastors and people that literally they wake up in the morning and they go, "Thank you, God, I wasn't attacked. Thank you for you know keeping me alive." And they give glory to God just for being alive in the day. And it's really sad, you know, when you go there and you talk to the people where it's where they're just kind of conditioned to expect it. And they're used to the they're they're used to the persecution. And, you know, it's like when an attack hits a village, there could be another town or area that's 10 miles away. It's like, well, it didn't happen to us. Thank God. You know, it's it's a really strange mindset, you know, and, and it's hard for us to believe that you'd be conditioned to such horrors. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that it's it's unimaginable. It's so different from the reality that we are blessed to live in that it's it's truly hard to wrap your head around. I, I want to make sure that our families, because I want them to be engaged. I want us to really start making a point to pray for these these believers to to see how we can partner with organizations like yours to that are going in and offering relief. And, and I feel like the best way to do that is to really give them a, a, a taste of what that reality is, because like you noted, it's so vastly different than ours. You know, a lot of families listen to this with their children. So what what is the reality for a little one over there? What you know, if if they are born into a Christian family, I imagine that there is a very high percentage of them that end up in orphanages. You know, what yeah. what is the reality for these children? Well, I mean, after after attacks, obviously, we we've run into many cases where a, a lot of orphans are created because the parents were killed. And then after everything's been completely devastated family members can't afford to take care of the little ones in the village because, I mean, you're talking everything you've owned and everything you do is completely upended. And then what happens in a lot of cases is, yes, we have orphans, but then on the other side, you have kids that are now being raised by relatives, not their parents. And in many of these situations, we see that they don't get any education whatsoever. So, this, I mean, obviously they're not going to school, so we've come into camps and situations where kids have, haven't had any education in like two to three years since the attacks. So yeah. they're not learning how to read, write, or, or any of those basic skills. And that's another thing our mission does is we we have a focus on trying to help these IDP camps and providing teachers or if in certain situations, building schools outside of these IDP camps so these kids have an education that they can do. But many times 
we're talking kids as young as, you know, five and six years old are working alongside their parents just to try to make ends meet. Wow. And, you know, uh, we're, we're very spoiled in the United States. You know, I, I have a eight year old son and I, you know, it, it would be labeled child abuse to tell him to go walk a mile with a large bucket and carry a, carry a large bucket full of water on top of his head back to the village. Yeah. That would be frowned upon and everybody would be freaking out here. But that's that's a regular way of life for those kids. They're working right alongside the parents and the and the village just to try to make ends meet. Wow. What all does equipping the persecuted do to go in and actually support and and minister to these families that have to be so I mean, I, there would have to be so much grief that they were processing through as well as just the the shock and the fear and, you know, just kind of these normal reactions that you would have to have to living in such a high stress environment. When we go into the camps and we talk to these folks, we our, our first question is, is, OK, what do you guys need the most? Like, you know, what what do you need? And depending on the situation, sometimes it's is, you know. We need fertilizer to grow grow crops. We yeah. need materials to farm. We'll provide materials to farm. Other times as, hey, there's a, a typhoid outbreak here in the camp. Uh, there's a lot of people with malaria. We need medicine. We need doctors. Well, we come in, we send in medicine and doctors. So we ask, it, it just depends on the situation and, and what, what these people need at that time. And if we have the resources, we are there to, to meet it and, and fill those needs. Wow. And like a lot of times it's, hey, the kids need education. Well, well, okay, let's build a school. Let's get you guys education. Sometimes it's, we need a water well because we're tired of bringing in contaminated water from a mile away back into our, back into our camp. So we'll go drill a water well. It's, it's meeting these needs practically that really changed lives and save lives. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned, you've mentioned a couple of times IDP camps. For those who yeah. may not be aware of what that means, can you tell us what is an IDP camp and, you know, how do how do these individuals get connected there? Now, I, I apologize for that. IDP camp is internally displaced person, which is essentially it's a refugee camp within your own country. Gotcha. So gotcha. it's it for internally displaced person. And that's a politically correct way of saying uh We've been attacked, our village is gone, and now we're living in a camp. Wow. And 1.5 million IDPs in Nigeria. These are people who've been attacked and been displaced from their villages, their farms. And yeah, so 1.5 million right now. Oh, that is astonishing. Yeah, I don't know that... I'm not sure I've ever heard that term. I'm not sure that that is... You know, I I just never really considered the fact that there would be displaced people within your own country. We just don't we don't think of a reality like that. And so it's it's I'm I'm just so glad that we're having this conversation because it's so important for us as believers and for our families to get a view of what is going on around the world so that we can empathize with and actually be moved to serve and pray for those who are finding themselves in situations like this. You mentioned that the different types of needs that you all have met, you said that 
you know, whatever their need is, you try to find a way to meet that. Is that something that families can get involved in? Are you actually collecting stuff like this? Are you, do you do it through just donations and then you purchase or allocate those funds in a specific way? Is this something where people could sign up professionals, doctors, et cetera, to go over with you? Or how does, how does all of that work where practically people can get involved? After a short break, we'll be right back to talk even more about this. Well, most of the time, it is easier for people to donate and for us to purchase things on the ground in Nigeria. Shipping things from the United States to Nigeria is a very costly process. And when you do the math, most of the time, it's more cost effective to purchase things on the ground there. And on top of that, it also helps build the economy locally when we're spending the funds there. Uh, But as far as doctors and professionals that would like to come to Nigeria, you're welcome. Uh, We would would actually really appreciate that. And we're going to have a link up on our website here soon for people that are interested in coming to Nigeria and signing up and doing this. But I just want people to know right off the bat that... uh, This is not foo-foo missions, what I call, you know, it's not a sign up, have a plane ticket, go, uh, you know, go, go do the sightseeing and, and then come home, you know, all happy. This is a, this is, you're walking into a tough situation, a dangerous situation. Yeah. And I can only ensure security so much, but I can't promise security. Right. Right. Well, you know, anytime that we have been abroad, um, and we have never been in a situation that was dangerous like that. But any time that we have been abroad and actually taken our children abroad, which you probably don't recommend <laughs> for Nigeria. No. But every time that we have done that, us and our children have come home changed, recognizing mm-hmm. the and first of all, the the incredible blessings of living where we live, having the privileges that we do, having access to God's word and fellowship and free worship. It's a huge, huge blessing. But exposing our children to the realities of of how people live around the world, of what God is doing around the world, of how they can be a part of what God is doing around the world is so important to help them not just see themselves and their own little, you know, their own little reality, but to give them a heart for way beyond themselves, looking outside, seeing how God can use them. So I think that that learning more and more about what is happening over there and, and you know, participating in whatever way, you know, is appropriate is is such a good way to expose our children as well as as you know, us as parents to the needs and the opportunities to join in the work that God is doing around the globe. Yeah, it's it's very important. It's very important for families to take their kids out of their comfort zones and show them what the real world is like. I wouldn't recommend Nigeria as their first experience in doing that, <laughs> but there's definitely definitely getting kids involved in something like that is huge. My my first mission trip I ever took was a as a teenager to uh, Jamaica. And that was a big eye-opening experience for me. And that that really gave me uh, a little bit of a different perspective as a teenager. And, and I'll never forget it. But I recommend 
parents get their kids involved in things like that. It, get them outside of the bubble a little bit to see how the other world lives. And, you know, but for those who are looking to come to Nigeria, it's, you know, you got to think you want to make it worth your while. And you want to be able to have a skill set that you can provide there that we can't find in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And, you know, otherwise you're, it's very hard to get into Nigeria, meaning the process is not normal in any sense of the word. And for some reason, the Nigerian government makes you go through all these hoops just to get to Nigeria to begin with. And you're looking at travel, plane ticket and all that other stuff. Well, you have to make sure that it's a skill set that is not available in Nigeria that can be benefit to the people there. Otherwise, those resources can be better spent donating to the mission to buy food, medicine and other materials on the ground. Yeah, yeah. I I believe that you mentioned last time that you guys have some different resources on your site that maybe some video resources, some some different ways. Oh, and and actually your um, your news feed that you have that gives insight into what's going on. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So that people can can learn how they can plug in and, and really, you know, I think that this would be a great thing to just constantly be checking yes. um, to see what's going on. So truthnigeria.com is a project that we started to document and let people know what's going on the ground in Nigeria. And we're we're giving it we're giving it a human face and a relatable face to what's going on in Nigeria on a regular basis. And we are training our Nigerian journalists how to write articles and tell stories in, I say, American English, as opposed to Nigerian English, yeah. which is, which is, which is a bit more proper English. They speak better English than we do sometimes. But we're we're training journalists how to relate to an American audience and how to identify, have Americans identify with them, and. We're doing something that no one has done before with Truth yeah. Nigeria, and that is documenting accurately everything that is going on in the government, because the government has a very, Nigerian government silences its own citizens, does silence its own journalists. And the journalists that are reporting the stories they're doing for Truth Nigeria are risking their lives. Wow. Just to tell the truth about what's happening there. And, you know, just another lesson for Americans, freedom of speech is key. And we take that for granted here in this country, where in a place like Nigeria, if you say the wrong thing about the government, they'll throw you in jail. I wish that was as hard to imagine happening here as it used to be. That doesn't seem as quite as far-fetched as it once was, which is a a conversation for another time. (laughs) Right. But, (laughs) but you know, as as you were talking, I I wonder why Nigeria. You know, why these families that are listening in, where Nigeria is a half a world away, why should they care? I I just I really want to make sure that they understand why it's so important to care about something that that does seem so far away and so removed from our reality here. One of the very fundamentals of being a Christian is to take care of widows and orphans, and especially those that belong to the body of Christ. Uh, That comes from Galatians 6.10. We're supposed to do good unto all others, especially to those of the body of believers. And we have an entire group of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Nigeria, happens to be right now, well, 90% of all Christian persecution deaths 
occurred in Nigeria last year. This is the hotbed of Christian persecution, and our brothers and sisters need all the help they can get. And just it's not just caring about our Christian brothers and sisters like we're supposed to do, but it's also a ministry of showing the world that this is how we take care of our own. Yeah. And on the ground in Nigeria, just for showing up and taking care of our brothers and sisters, we have seen so many people come to know Christ through this ministry. Wow. And not just not just nominal Christians or people that weren't taking their faith seriously. We've also seen Muslims come to know Christ because of our efforts in Nigeria. Wow. This is a ministry. It's not it's not just doing the humanitarian aid. This is a gospel sharing mission where we have seen people come to know Christ because of this. And this is gospel 101. We can compl- complicate our faith with all sorts of different uh, theologies and different takes on this, what kind of worship music we should listen to or whatnot. These are the petty arguments we have in our in our country. But if yeah. we just go to gospel 101 and take care of the needy, take care of the poor, the widows and the orphans amongst us, amongst our own body of believers, it's amazing what happens. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a good point. We have convoluted things and made things complicated. And I remember when my children were younger and we would be talking about the gospel and matters of faith and trying to introduce them to Jesus. And we were able to break it down so simply for them. And I I wondered at that point why we add so many things to it. Why have we divided over such superfluous things when if we really just got down the basics like you were talking about and showing Jesus's love to people in need and displaying for all of those watching Mm -hmm. exactly how family takes care of each other and showing the love. um, Because I imagine that there are believers and non-believers, obviously, if you're seeing gospel work being done, that you are serving over there, being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's, It's just a phenomenal thing. And as you're doing this, with this being such a hotbed of persecution and destruction, really, I have to believe that there is a huge percentage of the world that's tuning into that. They they're much more aware probably than we are here in the States of what's going on over there. And so the testimony that ripples out from that has to be incredible. It does. It reaches people all over and people have, you know, people have to realize, well, one, one, I'll just say this with Nigeria, a lot of the world, they know things are going on, but they don't quite understand what is happening because the mainstream media whitewashes what happens out there. Meaning, you know, they say all the killings are happening because of climate change or, you know, et cetera. According to the BBC, that's why all these attacks and bad things are happening because of climate change. So, but when word does get out about what we are doing, and even even government officials, when they see what we are doing, people coming in from a country, you know, from across, from around the world, you know, completely foreign to them, giving our time, resources, and effort to help, it actually puts them on notice. And it, it touches their hearts and they start questioning going, wow, we could be, do more here in our country as yeah. well. And, you know, the impacts that I've seen from since we started this mission has just been astounding in the amount of lives we've been able to touch. And the people keep saying when we come back and we, we render aid, we were, you know, hugging them and we're right alongside them, ministering with them. They just tell us the thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. We thought the world forgot about us. You have brought us hope. That's amazing. And such a good opportunity to, again, to bring hope, to show the love of Jesus on the other side of the world. 
Judd, how can families get involved? What would you tell if if a family came to me and and said, how can I get involved with this? What would you like to see the pathway that these families take to really lock arms with you guys and and to serve our brothers and sisters over there? First and foremost, add this to your prayer schedule. Add uh-huh. this to your prayer time and in, in, in your devotions. Pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Nigeria. Take our information from truthnigeria.com. Share it with your family. Share it with your church. Let people know what's actually happening in Nigeria. And then get involved. Get involved financially. We need all the help we can get. We, we are not funded by the U.S. government. We're not funded by the U.N. We're not a huge mission. We are a small mission, boots on the ground. There's me and two part-time assistants here in the U.S. That's our staff in the U.S. And then we have a staff of 40 in Nigeria, boots on the ground, responding and doing the work. So we need all the financial help we can get. And then if you have a special skill set that you think would be good for Nigeria, reach out to us. Yeah. And and just make people aware of what's happening. Great. And where can they find how to give, how to get involved, how to pray, you know, what would be the best place for them to to go? And we'll make sure that we include all of these in the show notes to make it easy, but yes. it's always good to hear it as well. Go to equippingthepersecuted.org. Equippingthepersecuted.org is the website you need to go visit. And then look us up on facebook.com slash equippingthepersecuted. I post things on Twitter occasionally at Judd Saul. You can look me up and we try to keep people up to date regularly what we are doing on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. We try to keep people up to date. That's one of the things with our mission is we move fast. When there's an emergency, we move fast. We're rapid. It doesn't take us a year to make a decision. We make decisions on a daily basis and we let people know what's going on. So equippingthepersecuted.org, really appreciate it if you check us out. Yeah. How often do you go back and forth to Nigeria in a year? Three to four times a year. Uh, In fact, I'm heading out again here in late September. And we go there for many reasons. In this upcoming trip, uh, we're going there to give encouragement and do a very, very large medical intervention for an entire area that has been hit very hard where a thousand people have been killed in the last three months. Wow. And it's going to be a little bit of a dangerous journey, but we uh, appreciate your prayers on that one. But three to four times a year is how often we go out, but we have a staff of 40 that's working day and night on the ground in Nigeria to help our persecuted brothers and sisters. Wow. Well, that's incredible. I guess one more thing that I wanted to ask you before we run out of time is, is this something that if a family really got engaged and wanted to have you or someone with your organization present to their church or you know, do you have materials that they can get out to their church? How can they spread the word through churches here in the States? You can sign up on our email list and uh, send us an email uh, requesting materials. We would be happy to send you materials, brochures, and things for your church. And if it's in the schedule, would love to come out and present and talk about what is going on in Nigeria and share with you what our mission is doing. So awesome. we would love to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, we will make sure that we note all of these different opportunities and different ways to connect in our show notes to make it just as easy as possible for these families to act 
and really lock arms with you guys and get involved. Judd, we are out of time now, but thank you so much for joining us today. It is, it's always so eye-opening and I learn something new every time I talk to you. So thank you for coming out with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. To everyone else listening in, I hope that your heart has been challenged. I hope that actually your heart has been broken for what is happening to our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. And I hope that you are challenged to get involved. We're going to leave you all of those links, ways that you can connect with Judd and equipping the persecuted. Make this a matter of prayer. Bring this into your family worship time, your prayer time together. Pray for our brothers and sisters over there. Stay informed. See how you can get involved financially, by helping spread the word, by telling others of what's going on over there. There's a lot of opportunities for us as believers here in the States to participate in what's going on. And so I encourage you to do that. We talk all the time about how the Great Commission begins at home. And this is a phenomenal way for you to expose your children to what God is doing by allowing us to bear one another's burdens with those in our family who are suffering greatly. So I uh, just really encourage you to get involved and I pray that God will lay this on your heart. I hope that you have a great rest of your day and I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining me today. It's my prayer that every episode of the Homeschooling Families podcast helps to strengthen your family by giving you biblical and practical ways to raise your children and educate them well. We'd love to engage with you more. So check out teachthemdiligently.net to find out about the resources and experiences we offer Christian homeschooling families like yours all year long. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and a whole lot more. Mm-hmm.